Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Is that a wonderful week so far? I am so sorry that we did not have an episode on Monday. There was, we had some technical difficulties. There was some miscommunication. And so an episode didn't go out and I'm really sorry about that. A lot of you emailed me and messaged me and said, I don't know if it's just me, but your show is not coming up on my podcast app. And no, it's not just you. It was everyone. So I apologize for that. I think that's the first time that's ever happened that I I've just left you guys hanging and I felt really badly about that because you didn't have any warning, but I didn't really have any warning either. So I'm sorry, but we are back and we skipped Theology Monday. Unfortunately, we'll be back to that on Monday, but uh, today is Newsday and there's a lot that's going on. There's always a lot that's going on. We're going to talk about the 2020 election that, of course, is gearing up and has been gearing up for a while now. Some updates on that. And then I might get into some other news if we have time. Yesterday, state elections happened, but as I'm recording this, yesterday is actually today, and so I don't know the results of the state election, so I can't talk about that, but a lot of, I can tell you in confidence that a lot of important things happened, and a lot of important things were decided, and Twitter was probably some kind of firestorm. So I can say that in pretty good confidence, but we're going to talk about things that I actually know are happening and have happened with the 2020 election. So we are one year away, one year away from the presidential election. Does that not blow your hecking mind. It blows, it blows my mind. I feel like the presidential election, honestly, I'm not being hyperbolic. I feel like it happened last year. I feel like Trump was just elected president last year. I remember, I remember waking, my husband woke me up at like 3 a.m. or something like that. I just couldn't make it through. I think a lot of us, we didn't want to believe that Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency, but we kind of just thought that she would, or we had this fear. It wasn't even, I guess, that we thought that Hillary Clinton would win. It was Donald Trump could never, there's, there's no way. There's just no way. Even though I voted for Trump, obviously my husband, my family, we all voted for Trump. We just kind of thought, it's not going to happen. There are too many people that are against him. This election has uh, just not, or his campaign has just not uh, gone his way so far. And my husband woke me up at 3 a.m. and was like, Trump won. And I was like, no freaking way. No way Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States. I could not believe it. And I remember waking up the next day and thinking, okay, this guy wasn't perfect. He wasn't my first choice at all in the primaries. Didn't vote for him in the primaries. But the fact that people did not vote for Hillary Clinton, or at least the electoral vote didn't go to Hillary Clinton, I felt like, wow, there's a lot more hope than I thought for the country. Because as imperfect as Donald Trump may be with all of his bad habits and hangups and flaws, He's not Hillary Clinton, which is why I believe, in large part, why he won. Of course, there are people, those of you out there who have loved him since the very beginning, loved him in the primaries, and that is all good. I have family members uh, that are like that, and I you know, totally understand your affinity and your original affinity uh, for President Trump. But I think for a lot of people, and this is how it was for me, although I've kind of grown to like Trump more, I have grown to like Trump more over the past few years. But at the time, it was like, okay, I just, there's no way that I can vote for this uh, pro-abortion, so-called progressive or regressive candidate and corrupt candidate in Hillary Clinton. There's just no way that I could do it. And President Trump, for the most part, has delivered on what a lot of conservatives hoped that he would. 
his administration has fought for a lot of the things that we conservatives fight for. They have um, they have declared some victories in the way of uh, the pro-life movement, in the way of religious liberty, in the way of free speech on college campuses, all of these things that conservatives care about very much, even in the way of the traditional family, which of course is part of the reason why he's attacked so much by the left. But it's been good. It's been good. He has accomplished a lot. Obviously, the economy is going really well. Unemployment has absolutely plummeted under his presidency. America is doing well, except for the fact, except for the fact that we cannot agree um, on the reality that we are doing well. And both sides hate each other in large part uh, because of President Trump. Although, as I've talked about many times, President Trump was the symptom of our divisiveness that really started under Obama, maybe right before Obama actually was exacerbated greatly by Obama and his identity politics that he peddled so often and the victim narr narrative that he propagated um, and then was uh, greater exacerbated by the election of Donald Trump. I won't even say by Donald Trump, but the election of Donald Trump because he is such an anti-Obama in so many ways. And so we've been divided for a long time. People who say that President Trump is the figure of divisiveness, that he is the reason for our tribalism, just weren't paying attention before he got elected. No, we were far apart before we before he got elected. As I always talk about that study polarization in politics from Pew Research in October of 2017 shows that the far left moved way far left while Obama was president far more than they had over the previous 20 years. The right stayed about the same, and that has accounted for uh, much of the reason, much, much of the reasons why we just cannot get along. As I've said many times, the disagreements that we have today between the right and the left are not more complex than they used to be necessarily. They are complex on some level, but the reason why we don't get along isn't because of our complex disagreements. It's because our disagreements are far more fundamental than they ever were. I mean, we're talking about basic questions of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Is it actually a life, a human being inside the womb? Is America not just the greatest country in the world, which I believe it is, but is it even a good country? What is morality? Like these are all the very basic and fundamental questions that the right and the left no longer agree on. One side, not all of them, um, but in, uh, I... I don't know if I can say in large part, but a, a lot of people on the left have built a platform of shaming and hating America and wanting to uh, level the playing field as Obama always wanted to do, hence his apology tour. You've got a lot of radicals on the left that really think that America is a bad actor in the world. And then you've got the other side who believes what Americans on both sides of the aisle have believed for hundreds of years, that America isn't perfect, but we are uh, the most compassionate, the most empathetic, and the most welcoming country in the world. And we have done more good and done more to advance the cause of liberty than any other nation in the history of the universe. So we don't agree on that stuff anymore. That is why we are so divided. In addition to the great question that we... Um, 
always address on this podcast, is God real? The majority of Republicans believe that he is. That's why they believe that our rights are inherent, that they were endowed to us by a creator, among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Therefore, because they are inherent, they cannot be taken away by the government. They're not given to us by the government, so they can't be taken away. Whereas godlessness, atheism, ag agnosticism belongs mostly on the political left. Of course, there are um, exceptions to that rule on the right and the left, but atheism and uh, the disbelief in any kind of organized religion is much more popular on the left than it is on the right. That also accounts for a, a grave division in this country. It's not that we have political disagreements now. It is cultural. It's social. It's religious. It's spiritual. It is how we view the world that is fundamentally different. That doesn't mean that we can't get along with people on the other side. It doesn't mean that we can't uh, reach across the aisle. We should. We should, especially as Christians, we should be reaching across the aisle and we should love our neighbor as ourselves, no matter whether uh, they had an R or a D by their name. Uh, we can come together on some things. I'm just explaining the blatant nature of where we are right now. Our worldviews on the right and the left are so fundamentally different which is why it's so hard for us to have a conversation without especially someone on the left, but sometimes someone on the right saying, hey, because you believe this certain policy, you are uh, not only a bad person, but you don't have the right to be in public without being harassed. And so we're going to get into all of that. That is where we are. That's the state of our politics, our cultural landscape right now. And 2020 is going to be a nasty election. It's going to be a decisive uh, in history. It's going to tell us which direction we're going to go, at least for the next four years. Uh, are we going to go headlong into socialism under someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or even Joe Biden, who will be a proponent for that? The Democrats will make him be a proponent for that, whether he ideologically is or not. Or are we going to keep going in the way of prosperity and freedom? Those are the two options that we have. Um, let me give you some just basic updates. Beto O'Rourke is out of the race. As Trump said at his rally this week, O'Rourke quit like a dog. That's what he loves to say, like a dog. He says everyone does something like a dog if he doesn't like them. I think he said uh, al-Baghdadi, the terrorist who was killed by the American military, amazingly. Uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, Trump said he died like a dog. I, I love that phrase. Now I use it all the time for anything. But Beto O'Rourke, uh, quit like a dog, dropped out of the race. This is not something we necessarily saw coming. I mean, there are definitely candidates still in the race who are even less likely to take the take the nomination than O'Rourke was. He had all the enthusiasm in the world on his side when he first started this. Of course, he ran uh, in the Senate race against Ted Cruz in Texas. I mean, he had Beyonce. He had all kinds of other celebrities come out and support for him, post on Instagram about him. Uh, he had all the funds in the world uh, in support of him and his campaign. And yet, and yet he could not pull it off. He did not succeed. Um, I should have known as other people did that because of that, because of his failed senatorial campaign, that he, uh, if he couldn't win that election, there's no way he could carry the national election. I thought I just... Now, I won't say I was optimistic because obviously I never wanted him to be the op uh, nominee, but I thought that he would do better than he did. I thought that he would have a little bit more support, but he is totally and completely floundered. Uh, the only reason that Beto got close to beating Ted Cruz uh, wasn't because he had interesting policy ideas or any kind of 
any kind of policy ideas at all. Uh, but it was really based on a couple of things. People's hatred of Trump, which by association included all things Republican and being relatable and likable. Not likable to me, but likable to a lot of people, appealing to the youths, appealing to millennials, even some maybe Generation Z. You'll remember he had the skateboard thing. He air guitared in his car. He cussed. He was super awesome and cool, but he had no substantive, realistic policy ideas, which unfortunately a lot of young people, they don't really care about that. They just want someone that they can grab a craft beer with. And his lack of substantive policy ideas meant that he brought nothing interesting to the table as a presidential candidate. He tried to be the most extreme candidate, which was interesting because he pretended to be somewhat of a moderate when he was running for uh, Senate, but he decided that he was going to be the most extreme candidate. He was going to be the one to say what all the Democrats were thinking, but didn't want to articulate because they didn't want to alienate some moderate voters that might vote for them because they don't like President Trump. He said, you know what? To heck with that. I'm just going to say all the extreme far leftist stuff that Democrats are thinking. OK, that's one strategy. It obviously didn't work. He said things like he was going to come take our AR-15s. And if we didn't actually hand over our AR-15s, there was going to be punishment. And yet he kept on saying it was voluntary. I think that's the definition of mandatory. He had obviously no regard for the Constitution, no regard specifically for the Second Amendment. He also said uh, that he was going to, his administration would punish churches that didn't condone and celebrate the LGBT agenda by taking their tax-exempt status away. So like I said, his strategy of being the one to actually express outright the left's far left radical extremist views didn't really work out. He also had an ego. He said in the beginning, I guess everyone who's running for president has somewhat of an ego, but he really did. And it was unfounded too. It's one thing to think highly of yourself if maybe you've accomplished a lot, but he just hasn't. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just speaking matter of fact. He didn't have a lot of accomplishments to his name, and yet he was very egotistical. He said in the beginning that he was born to run for president. Um, he reeked of the privilege that so many on the left say that they hate. They say that the enemy is rich white males and all of their toxic masculinity and all of their privilege. Well, Beto fit that profile really well, except for the fact that he is a Democrat. I mean, he is from a rich family. His wife is from a rich family. He's never had to work for what he has. Uh, his dad was a corrupt El Paso judge. He, uh, Beto, like I said, really had no achievements to his name. And yet when asked why, despite having millions of dollars, he only gave a minuscule amount to charity. He responded that his whole life was an act of charity and that he had been in public service since 2005 and that should just be generous enough he has given us his time that's very very sweet politico also reports one reason why his campaign failed is because uh, the campaign was unorganized donors wouldn't get calls back reporters weren't given the information they needed to show up at his events and you can just imagine beto kind of being like that being the kind of spacey guy that would forget about those details and just think that he is going to be able to connect with people no matter what the media does, no matter who reports and no matter who funds him, he's just going to be able to do this supernaturally because he was born for this. You can kind of see Beto thinking that. And look, I, I'm a hypocrite if I accuse him or if I criticize him for being unorganized. I couldn't do it, but there's a reason why I'm not running for president and he is. I would think that if you can't run a campaign 
And, or at least you can't delegate responsibilities to people who can run a campaign well and organize people and respond to phone calls, then you're probably not cut out to be commander in chief. That's just my guess. So he's out. Bye-bye, Beto. It was nice to know you. We might never hear this name again of Robert Francis O'Rourke, and I think most of us would probably be okay with that. I wish him I wish him the best. I don't wish any ill will towards him. I don't want anything bad for his life. I hope he and his family have a, a wonderful life doing whatever they want to do. That's great. Um, goodbye. Thank you for your contribution. Uh, last national polling has Biden at 32%. This is according to 538 blog, 32%. Sanders at 20%. Warren at 20%. Buttigieg at 7%. Harris at 5%. You know what the funny thing is about that? So we've got obviously Biden, Sanders, Warren, far above Buttigieg and Harris, who are at number four and five. Um, and yet Buttigieg has said, he said in a recent interview that he sees this shaping up to be a two-person race between him and Elizabeth Warren. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I could see that. I could see that. I could see people reassessing Buttigieg. I mean, he's not doing that great among certain demographics like the African-American community, but I could see people saying, okay, Warren, Sanders, they're a little bit too extreme. Joe Biden, a little bit too senile, doesn't have it together. Maybe we should look at Kamala or maybe we should look at Buttigieg. Well, Kamala, she has this bad reputation of being a cop, of being this hardline prosecutor. And so you've got a lot of people on the left that don't like her. Buttigieg has his own problems. A lot of people think that he doesn't handle the city that he is a mayor of very well, that he also has this whole white privilege label that the left cares about so much, that he's not intersectional enough, even as a gay man. He's got that problem. He's got that problem too. And he is also extremely condescending towards Christians, which I think just comes part and parcel with being a Democrat nowadays. But Anyway, they all have their issues. I could see, though, I could see Buttigieg possibly being right. Like, we can all laugh at that. Kamala Harris laughed at that and said, you know, we have a long way to go before this becomes a two-person race between Warren and Buttigieg. And that's right. Like, he is arrogant and kind of silly for saying that. But I could see it going that direction. I could see people starting to like Buttigieg more than they like Harris, who is also, I guess, what we would consider a second tier candidate. I don't know, number five uh, among these top five candidates. But I, I could see that. I could see it going that direction. But we do have a long way to go. And I find it continually amazing that Biden is where he is, despite so many gaffes, despite such a poor performance compared to the other people on the stage at debates a poor performance I mean the man cannot he can't even last the entire two minutes or 30 seconds however long they have to answer questions before he says he kind of runs his sentence off and says okay well never mind I'm going to concede my time I mean that is not going to be a good strategy if you're going against Donald Trump on the debate stage so it's amazing to me that he is still so far ahead uh, the New York Times analyzed how Trump fares against the top three candidates Biden Sanders Warren uh, in the battleground states of Michigan Pennsylvania Wisconsin Florida Arizona and North Carolina here Here's what the New York Times says in an article published on Monday. Despite low national approval ratings in the specter of impeachment, President Trump remains highly competitive in the battleground states likeliest to decide his reelection. 
according to a set of new surveys from the New York Times Upshot and Siena College. So against Biden, this poll has Trump, even with him in Michigan, losing in Pennsylvania, losing in Wisconsin, Florida and Arizona and winning in North Carolina against Bernie Sanders. It is split between six states. These six battleground states polls show Trump losing in Michigan and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin to Bernie Sanders, but winning in Florida, Arizona and North Carolina against Warren. This poll uh, says that Trump is winning or, or even in five of these states and losing in only one of these states, which is Arizona. So right now, as we've said, Biden is still Democrats best bet at beating Trump, according to the polls. The good news is for us, I believe that Biden is a weak candidate. He's just a weak candidate. There's no way around that. I don't think anyone on the right or the left would say Biden is a strong candidate. He will be weak in debates, as we have already noted. He will crumble under the trolling of Trump because he's at a point now where he just can't take the heat. He tweeted what I think he thought was like super clever and powerful. Uh, so the other day it was it marked exactly a year until the 2020 uh, until 2020 election day. And he said a year from now, I will have a nickname for Donald Trump, not the president of the United States or not President Trump. But I'm like, whoa, 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 Joe, save, save some fire for the debates, buddy. That's a, that's a little, that's a little intense. So poor guy, he's really trying to play the game. He's tr really trying to get on Trump's level. I just don't think he's going to get there. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the stamina that Trump does. And Trump, I, Trump is old too. Okay. I think we all know that Trump Biden, Sanders, uh, they're all old, but Trump doesn't act old. He just doesn't. He doesn't talk old. He acts like he has all the energy in the world. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people when you're talking about the guy who is going to be running the country and who is going to be commander in chief. Maybe 10, 20 years ago, Joe would have put up an interesting fight and this would have been an interesting election, but he just doesn't have the same grit that Trump does. Here is my analysis about this. In the general election, not a single person, not a single person, not a single American will vote for Joe Biden. Yes, you heard me. Not a single American will vote for Joe Biden. The people will be voting. If they do, they will be voting against Donald Trump. There will be people who vote against Donald Trump. It will not be if they cast a vote for Joe Biden. It will not be for Joe Biden. It will be against Donald Trump. If Biden wins the presidency, it will not be because anyone liked him, thought he was a strong candidate, or thinks that he will be a good president of the United States. Maybe like three people will actually think that, but the vast majority of people that vote for him will vote for him because they hate Donald Trump and because they think that Biden will be at least a vessel for leftist policies. He will at least be their useful idiot. It's kind of how a lot of conservatives think of Donald Trump. They might not like him personally. They might not even agree with him ideologically, but they know that he is going to choose people in his administration that are going to carry out the values, the things, the policies that we like. That's who Joe Biden is for the left and will be if he wins. Uh, the Democratic establishment know, in my opinion, that people like Sanders, that people like Warren are too radical right now to win. Maybe not in 10 years, unfortunately, but right now they're too radical to win. I think Sanders has a better chance than Warren of beating Donald Trump because honestly, Warren has the whole Pocahontas thing. I know we think um, 
you know, that's some small thing or maybe something in the past. It's really not. Like every time I think about that, as much as she tries to brush it off, it's really embarrassing. Like that's a really, really embarrassing story. And that's going to follow her. I honestly think that could be the one story. That and the fact that of what we're going to talk about in a minute, her Medicare for all plan, which is just disastrous and deceptive, um, that would lose her the presidency. I think Sanders, because he's at least honest, even though he's kooky, would have a better chance against Donald Trump. But I don't think it's going to be either of them. It probably will be Joe Biden. Um, Warren and Sanders just can't right now appeal to most of rational America. Both of them are going to or they're planning to raise taxes on the middle classes. Both want to take away your private health insurance and force you into Medicare for all, which eliminates your choice. It drives down the quality of your care and it decimates hospitals. I did an episode about this over the summer just titled Healthcare, where I explain Medicare for all and what it is and why people like it, but also why it is not good. Uh, Bernie Sanders is at least honest about having to hike taxes to pay for this on the middle class. Elizabeth Warren is straight up lying about it. She's just lying about it. Uh, Warren rolled out her Medicare for all plan this week, saying that it's going to cost $52 trillion over the next 10 years and that it's all going to be paid for, she says. All $52 trillion going to be paid for by uh, corporations and billionaires. There are a few uh, different things within there, but she says that the middle class is not going to pay for it at all. Middle class is not going to pay for it. Here's what she told a reporter this week. Senator, when you say you won't raise middle class taxes, what is the income bracket that you use to define? Uh, here it's 100%. It doesn't raise taxes on anybody but billionaires. And you know what? The billionaires can afford it, and I don't call them middle class. So billionaire, that's where it worked. Anyone under a billion dollars, that worked. That's right. It's not paying a penny more. That's exactly right. Nope, she said. She said, nope. Nope, just billionaires. Just billionaires. Did you did you see her getting a little bit louder and louder every time she said, nope, 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 just billionaires. The reporter's like, uh, but uh uh nope, nope. Liz said, it's just billionaires. Stop asking me. Uh, but there's also a nine trillion dollar payroll tax on employers in her plan that would hit employees as their employers lowered their wages to make up for a higher cost. And so that also is a hit to the middle class. It also includes raising capital gains taxes on the one percent. Well, the one percent is not billionaires like that's something that socialists throw around to make you think of just like the Howard Schultz's of the world, the Bill Gates's of the world. That's not who the one percent is, according to the IRS. In 2017, the top 1% included everyone who had an income of above about $515,000 a year. So we're not even talking millionaires. We're not even really talking close to millionaires. We're talking about half millionaires. So that includes Senator Warren and Bernie Sanders, by the way, and actually probably all the Democratic candidates. Probably, I would guess, all the Democratic candidates make at least along with their spouses, but maybe individually too, they make probably about a half million dollars a year, not from being a congressperson or not from being an elected official, but just in general, the different things that they do. Uh, many of them are actually millionaires like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but you know, they say it's not millionaires that are the problem. They used to say that until Bernie Sanders became a millionaire. No, it's just it's billionaires that are the problem. Uh, not the person who has $999 million, not that person, but the person who has just a little bit more than that, a billion dollars, 
that's the evil person. That's the threshold of evil that uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren say that you have to cross before we are just going to completely take all of your wealth away. Uh, not the humble, lowly millionaires like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. No, they're one of us. They're just the working people. There's, you know, blue collar Americans from the heartland. Um, the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget says that Warren's plan is mathematically impossible. The Wall Street Journal is challenging her uh, her calculations. Uh, Biden is challenging her, insisting her plan would mean higher taxes for the middle class. He and other candidates like Buttigieg don't support Medicare for all. They support health care for all, which means if you have private insurance that you like, you get to keep your private insurance that you like. But if you want Medicare, need Medicare, you have the option. And so you have a public option that, of course, is paid for by taxpayers. That's not the conservative option. That's not the conservative plan, by the way, but it's better in a lot of ways than Medicare for all. They rightly say, hey, we're not going to kick millions of Americans off their private insurance that they like. Um, but Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, because they are socialists and they want complete control, they want to make sure that you don't get the health care coverage that you want. They want to make sure that everyone has the same mediocre care and that health is rationed. Um, but you know why Elizabeth Warren is doing this blatantly lying she knows she can get away with it she knows she can get away with it yes there are going to be some journalists who call her out like i've said the new york times also has uh, but for the most part the media is going to have her back they're going to pick up her slack they're going to spend most of their time attacking trump and because they believe it is their moral duty most of the media believes it is their moral duty to defeat Trump in 2020. Uh, they don't want to weaken a Democratic frontrunner by claiming that she's lying. So they're not going to do it for the greater good, for the end cause. That's something that we are going to see incessantly throughout the next election cycle, covering up deceit from the left and exaggerating or fabricating dirt on the right in an effort to defeat Trump. And they will justify their lying or their manipulation by saying that the cause of defeating Trump is more important important than being honest or fair. That's truly how they will morally justify it in their minds. Democrats are also still trying to impeach Donald Trump because despite having no solid reason to do so, that is just where we are. Of course, they would rather run against someone like Mike Pence or run against not Donald Trump um, in 2020 than run against Donald Trump because even though they don't understand it, they realize that he has an appeal and that a lot of Americans like him. And I think they also realize they don't have any good candidates running. They don't have any good candidates running at all. There are polls showing that Democratic, Democratic voters wish that they had another option, but they just don't. People literally go crazy for or in their hatred of Donald Trump. Last week at a World Series game, you probably saw this, President Trump was booed at the National Stadium. It was terrible. I mean, I would never do that. I did not like Barack Obama. I don't like policy. I don't I don't like Barack Obama. I don't agree with him. I don't align with him on anything. I think that we are far worse off as a country after Barack Obama's presidency than we were before. And yet, and yet, if he stood up at, you know, a uh, some sporting event that I was at, I would not boo him. I mean, that's just tacky. But this is what happens when the media characterizes Donald Trump as some evil, wicked, white nationalist Nazi. People think, okay, well, it's justifiable to boo a Nazi. So they don't feel badly about it. They don't feel like it's a form of disrespect, but it's not true. And look, I obviously know President Trump isn't perfect. And I understand why someone on the left wouldn't support him. 
he doesn't stand for any of the things that you stand for. Like disagree with him as passionately as you want to. Don't like the guy. I just think we're in a, a sad place when something like a World Series game, and there's nothing more American than baseball, where we can't even just pay respect to the president of the United States. Just don't say anything. But everyone booing him, I mean, it's just... It's too much. Uh, the Nationals came to the White House. And by the way, I think that I would say that if people were doing that to President Obama. I truly would. I truly would. Um, the Nationals game or the Nationals came to the, the White House after they won the World Series. A catcher by the name of Kurt Suzuki stood at the podium. He donned his MAGA hat. And Trump, it was, I don't know how else to describe this except for it was cute. It was just cute. Trump was so excited to see him do this. He did. He obviously didn't expect it. Trump hugged him. Here's a video of that. Come here. Say a couple of words. Come on. Oh. Oh. I love him. Oh. That's so nice. I mean, that is just wholesome. It's just wholesome. It's just sweet. I just saw that and it warmed my heart. It was just cute. I don't know how else to say. It was just cute and Trump was genuinely happy and it was sweet. Uh, Trump genuinely was grateful for that, I think, because of recently. I mean, obviously he likes to be liked. Everyone likes to be liked, but also he was recently booed and so it probably felt good. Um, I, I don't always or I haven't always felt badly for the president because a lot of the criticism that he gets, some of it he uh, cultivates himself or he attracts purposely. You know, sometimes he's a lightning rod for controversy and he tries to stir up things on Twitter. But I think that it has to be so emotionally and mentally taxing to constantly be bombarded with not just hate, but unfair hate and not just criticism, but unfair criticism. And it just, it's got to be demoralizing and he does soldier on. His administration keeps fighting for things that we believe in. And I appreciate that. And it was just nice to see one moment of public, uh, public appreciation for the president by a public figure and for him to be grateful for that. And it was just sweet. But of course, the left lost their ever loving minds over this on Twitter. Here's some tweets from people who truly, some of them truly became Unhinged. These are all blue check marks, by the way. These aren't just random people. These are people with a following and some kind of status that makes them verified on Twitter. Um, I Wajahat Ali, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name, says, they will never love you, Kurt Suzuki. They will never love you. Enjoy the hug and delusion. Whatever makes you feel great. I don't even know what that I don't even know what that means because he is Japanese. What does that mean? Because Trump hates Japanese people, conservatives hate Japanese people. Okay, I, I I don't understand that tweet. They will they will never love you. Well, all right. Uh, Jackie Pepper says, "Can I retroactively withdraw my support for the Nats during the World Series because one of the players appreciates the president of the United States?" Okay, if you want to be that miserable, you can. Norman Ornstein says, "Very sad." I love Kurt Suzuki as a player, but he wore a MAGA hat to the White House, so I will not cheer him. This praise for Trump is hard to take. Oh, Soledad O'Brien says, pathetic. Guys, like I said, it's okay not to like him. That's fine. But this is the president of the United States. You know at least half the country likes him and supports him. So did you just assume, you who are so shocked and appalled by this, did you just assume that no athlete was included in the half of the country that supports Donald Trump? 
and that if they did support Donald Trump, that they just kind of should do it in secret, in the shadows. They should never talk about it. I mean, you're treating him like he's some social pariah. We're talking about the president of the United States. We're not talking about some like fringe far right figure. It's okay for them to support him. It's fine. And I know a lot of people are saying that it's hypocritical for conservatives to criticize people like LeBron James for being outspoken against the president, but supportive of Suzuki. And yes, it is hypocritical if the reason why you are criticizing LeBron James is because he's an athlete and you think that athletes shouldn't have a right to say anything and then you support Suzuki doing that. Yes, that's hypocritical. But that was never the reason why I criticized LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick. The reason why I criticized them is because they're wrong. Not because they're athletes, but because they're wrong. And so I can criticize them, but support Suzuki without being a hypocrite because my reason isn't that athletes don't have a right to express their political views. They do. So I wanted to talk about some other some other news stories as well. I wanted to talk about the homelessness epidemic and some of the stuff that's happening there. There are some updates there legislatively for Texas, but I don't think I have time to go into that, but we will in the future. Um, I'll be back here on Friday. I hope that was a, an okay update for you. If you've got questions, please let me know. If you've got feedback, let me know. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends. That means a lot to me um, if it's been helpful to you. For those of you who are new, I have a ton of old evergreen episodes that aren't just about news that will help you understand. I won't say they'll help you shape your worldview because maybe you don't agree with me, but they'll help you understand the conservative Christian worldview. Over the summer, I did uh, a lot of evergreen episodes on theology. Theologies were the theology episodes were every Monday. The political episodes were every Wednesday. And so Wednesday, I would Wednesdays, I would talk about things like healthcare. I would talk about things like the Constitution, what conservatives believe about it, what liberals believe about it. I would talk about universal basic income, socialism, all of these things. So if you just want a fundamental, a basic understanding of these subjects, which I think is important as we go into 2020, go back to some of my previous episodes. If you're looking for theological episodes, what I believed is a reformed Protestant, then you can go back and listen to, to some of those about the five solas, for example. I know a lot of you out there, my beloved Catholic friends, don't agree with me on that. That's okay. We can understand where the other one is, is coming from without feeling like we are trying to polarize one another or attack one another. We land differently on these issues, and we also have a lot in common, especially politically. So no matter what you believe, I do appreciate you being here and listening to this podcast. There are a lot of you out there who don't align with my views at all. And I really appreciate you um, taking the time to kind of expand your point of view with me three times a week. It's awesome of you to do that. It says a lot about who you are. Uh, okay, that's all I have to say. Like I said, I'll be back here on Friday. And that's it. Have a good day. 